can jump in. <clears throat> Abba Father, thank you so much again for the way you show grace and how your mercy is made new. You're faithful. Uh, thank you for the way that you blessed Caleb Harris. The procedure was just flawless. And he's recovering. Thank you. What an amazing answer to prayer. Thank you so much for Nathan being uh, released and doing better too. Just ask your blessing right now. Give us wisdom to understand your word and how it literally can change our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's look at the text. This is going to be John 19. And I want to do one more pass through this paragraph and then uh, and we'll, we'll finish up this chapter. So chapter 19 38 to 42. So after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, which is the town, by the way, where Samuel was born, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings. Notice that's the plural in English. It's also plural in Greek. With the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. All right, so uh, I want you to appreciate a bit more of the history and the backdrop of, what, of what's going on here in the text. Um, just to appreciate some things about Roman culture first. Um, Rome had such a sensitivity toward the dead that they developed festivals and rituals to really honor the dead. For example, they built pipes, tubing, and inserted them directly into the tomb so they could pour food and drink into the tomb as a way of helping the dead be more comfortable in the afterlife. They believe that, right? Um, when, when, they, when, when someone died, if a member died, they would bury that day, and they would have a celebratory meal that night. And then, in, for Roman culture, they would also have a celebration meal on the ninth, and then on the birthday of the deceased, and then annually, every birthday, the Greeks took it even farther. They would have a celebratory meal the day of the funeral, they would do it on the 3rd, the 7th, or the 9th, and the 40th, uh, 40th day after the death. They just really believed in celebrating the people who've gone on before them, so to speak. Uh, Rome had two really interesting ceremonies and festivals that they would go through. One was called the Parentalia, where they celebrated your ancestors. And it would be like a week-long celebration for the dead ancestors. 
And on the, on the first day of that celebration, they would go to the grave and place flowers. Do we do that? They go to the grave and place flowers, sometimes food, sometimes some gift to honor them. Uh, that's a practice we do today, you know. Um, sometimes we go in the spring and put flowers out to our loved ones. The, uh, they had another ritual that helped celebrate the dead and honor the dead called Lemuria. And what they would do in that celebration, they believed that there were ghosts and evil spirits, sometimes hovering about the graveyard. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. What did Jesus, what's the story about Jesus healing a man who was insane? Where was he? He's, you know, roaming about the tombs, you know, with all these evil spirits in him. So the Rome, Romans believed in evil spirits. You know? And so it was almost like a holiday, a festival, where you would exercise ghosts out of your loved one's tomb. Think of it that way. They really were committed to caring for their, you know, for their loved ones. Now, as I'd mentioned last, last teaching, last lecture, that if you were executed for treason, there is no way you would get that kind of treatment. You would not be removed from the cross. And you know why? They want a public display. And they believed that um, one of the things that would fuel riots and fuel cultural shifts is when a hero rose up, a hero. And heroes are to be imitated. For example, do you think we're, we're in the middle of the ripple effect of what Colin Kaepernick did when he began to launch a social protest on the sideline during the national anthem, anthem, during an NFL football game, and now look, he is—he's been vaulted into being a hero, okay? And right, wrong, or indifference, indifferent—he's a hero, and a lot of people are committed to protesting by taking knee during the national anthem in a way that kind of honors what he started. Does that make sense? Okay, Rome was afraid of the very same thing, very afraid of that. And so by keeping a man on the cross that's a victim, they believe it's a deterrent to anybody that might see that victim as a hero and would try to imitate their practices. Soak that one up. Well, how long would they leave him up there? Days and days and days I mean, they must and weeks. Pretty, oh, it was horrible. Sad, it, was, it was quite horrible. And so think about this, though. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is the essence of Christian faith? What is it? Follower of Christ. Absolutely. In fact, in Latin, imatio Christi, the imitation of Christ. And here Rome is trying to make an example of Jesus so nobody will imitate him. If you become a follower of Jesus, this is what you're going to get. Don't follow Jesus. That's the whole point, right? And so the fact that Pilate granted the body of Jesus at Joseph of Arimathea's request. It's pretty fascinating because he really was executed superficially as an enemy of the state for treason. I think Pilate knew that he wasn't guilty. I think Pilate saw the scandal, the schemes. I think he saw through the 
the internal political mess among the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin, who thought they were losing social control by this new hero figure and that they needed to take him out. I think Pilate knew that. So he grants the request. By the way, in uh, Sicily, just a few years earlier than the time of Jesus, there was a really horrific governor there, and he was so cruel. You know what he would do to people? He would not give the bodies of those that had died, and he would not grant permission to bury them unless they paid him off a bribe. Can you imagine extorting money out of a family, trying to bury a loved one? You know? There's a lot of cruelty in the Greco-Roman world. Hmm? Or execute no, people. These were just it's just a chance to make money. Dying. Yeah, yeah, because there's a tremendous need to honor the dead, right? So he took advantage of it. Sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a permit to bury the dead. You've got to pay me. And so exploiting and, and extorting money from people. And that's why some scholars say it's possible that Joseph of Arimathea slipped some money into Pilate's hand. Now, we, we can't prove that. It's conjecture. We don't know but it's possible. Or the fact is, Pilate had a moment of tenderness and said, you know what? He's not guilty. And if, any, if I get any kickback, I'll deal with it. And he grants the body to Joseph. Didn't he say, like he said, he told the crowd, like, the, it's, this isn't on my hands. And they said, let's yeah. let me on our heads. Yeah. Our children. Yeah. And his wife even convinced him. I mean, he told his wife. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find no guilt in this yeah. man. Yeah, and he said that repeatedly. Yeah, he said I find no fault with the man. Yeah, yeah. Certainly for the, uh, the crime that they were accusing him of. So we believe Pilate knew that. Now, could there be kickback? Could it go up, up the chain to Rome? That he showed kindness to, to a traitor? Oh, yeah. Again, Pilate is in that horrible binary trap where if he yields to the Jews, he's, he's executing a, a man who's not guilty, right? But how can you be cruel to an innocent man? And so the tension is, is, is really thick. The irony is very, very thick. So uh, it is beautiful that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who are both sacred disciples, kind of come out of obscurity and do the right thing. It's really beautiful. By the way, can I, make, can I correct a mistake that I gave last, last time I taught? I'd mentioned that when it comes to the spices, you know, about 100 pounds weight on the spices. And I mentioned that uh, when Herod the Great died, I said 500 servants carrying spices and, weight and, and gifts to honor him. I said 80 kilometers, it was 80 furlongs. So about a procession of six miles, I wanted to correct that. 80 furlongs, about six miles worth of people bringing gifts to honor Herod. And uh, so when you see 100 pounds of, of spices, you're, you're saying that Joseph and Nicodemus believe this is a burial fit for a king. He's worthy of that, okay? Now, remember the woman who brings a box full of spikenard, full of nard. Mm -hmm. How much was that worth? Years wages. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, less, uh, but, but plus about 11 months-ish, right? 
300 denarii. And a denarii is one day's wage, so 300 days, you know, okay, close. That's it. I, th- I thought I heard someone. Okay, now, there are estimates, and it's hard to know this, Randy, but now in U.S. poundage, 75 pounds of spice, because the Roman pound was 12 ounces. Do you know how much that much spice would cost? 30,000 denarii. You know how many years wages that is? Labor? 82. Two lifetimes. Actually, two. To us, it'd be one, but to them, two. Because the life expectancy of an average Jewish male was around 42 to 45-ish years of age. So two generations to work to get the money to buy that those spices. By the way, the spikenard was extremely expensive through the denarii because one, the alabaster box it was in, and secondly, it was it was imported out of Nepal. Just the transportation, the box to get it there. I mean, this was an extraordinary gift. So let's talk about gifts for just a bit. There's a lot of extravagance in John, John's gospel. For example, the wedding at Cana. When Jesus Jesus turned the water into wine, do you know how many gallons of wine he made? Estimates. What's that? Uh, Actually, with that, between 120 and 180 gallons, gallons of wine. Okay, that's extravagant extravagant opulence, right? Feeding of the 5,000 men plus women plus children. I mean, that's a lot of people, right? Potentially 15, 20, 25,000 people. And you figure the wives and the kids. Extravagance. Does it make sense? And then the story about the spike nard. And then the story of this fella and uh, Joseph and uh, Nicodemus bringing the spices. So these two men were well healed. Yes, and very wealthy to do this. Very, very wealthy. Uh, to have that kind of money would be really extraordinary. So, and absolutely not unheard of. Uh, in one funeral for the rabbi, the great rabbi Gamaliel, uh, one offering included 80 pounds of spices just to be burned, let alone to wrap his body in or, or to, to cover his body in, in linen wrapping. So, okay. Um, regarding a, a Jewish funeral, just a couple more comments. Uh, even the poorest of the poor, if you lost your wife, you're entitled to at least two pipe players, pipers, to play mournful music and at least one professional crier, one professional mourner to, to, to stir empathy, to communicate sorrow for the loss of a man who, whose wife just died. That's among the poor. The man who loses his wife, he's at least entitled to two pipers and one mourner at the funeral. Now, obviously, they they couldn't do that in this moment. Look at the geography. This is really fascinating. Look at verse... um, Look at verse... 
But the garden, why am I blank? I'm looking right at it, aren't I? Thank you, 41. Now the place, what's the geography? Where he was crucified, there was a garden. So geography-wise, this is close. This is very close to Jerusalem proper. There was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb. So the idea here geographically is that it was a relatively quick walk and the t to move the body from the cross to the tomb. It's not like they walked miles you know, through arid, rocky regions to finally get to the tomb, but it's argued. And John is the only, uh, only gospel to record this information, by the way, that it was a relatively close, uh, in close locale, okay? And uh, notice in the Greek text, linen wrappings, plural, and you also see that in the Gospel or chapter 20, where there, there's a plurality of reference to the linens. Now, quick comment, what about the Shroud of Turin? Lots of people think that that might be the actual Shroud wrapped in Jesus' body. Some arguments against this are that these linen wrappings appear to be straps of cloth and that he's wrapped in a mummy-like manner, which would be typical of, of a Jewish funeral. But what's also typical is that there was an outer garment, a, a single sheet, that could also be wrapped around the body, hence the potential shroud and the conjecture that the Shroud of Turin may have been his. But uh, I'm, I personally am in historical doubt for that. Uh, the Shroud went through a fire and the carbon Scoring on the shroud makes it almost impossible to, to get a good date on that thing. But, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to consider that that would be a possibility. Um, and again, the reference, a oh, quick question. What do you make of this comment uh, that um, they did this according to the custom of the Jews on how they do a funeral in verse 40, as, and, as is the burial custom of the Jews? What, is that, what does that indicate about the audience for the gospel, Rick? That they were Gentiles. Exactly. So there's a target Gentile audience, by the way, for this death story, the passion narrative. So, Okay. Um, so let's, let's tie this off here. What are some ways that we can provide extravagant honor to Jesus Christ today. How do you, what's, what's appropriate worship for him? What do you think? A broken woman thought it was appropriate to spend whole years with her wage. Some scholars have even added, uh, conject conjectured that the woman who took the 300 denarii was actually taking her inheritance that she'd acquired from her dad who died. And this woman took the inheritance. Can you imagine? Ensuring that she did not have anything to live on. She was deeply motivated to spend that. Fascinating. The spices, Nicodemus, Joseph. What are your thoughts? What's appropriate worship for Christ today? 
2,000 years out. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. What do you think? How do we worship today? Joyful, sacrificial giving. Yeah. Yeah, joyful. Um, is it about a dollar amount? What about the widow <laughs> and her two mites? Less than a penny, you know? Just like a half a penny kind of thing. A mite is just a minuscule amount of money. But giving all, so it's a hard attitude, right? You know, you can drop a big check and your heart can be far from God. Far. I think he wants our hearts, right? I sent some scripture out yesterday, uh, I think this morning, Matthew 12. What does he desire? Compassion, not sacrifice. He desires compassion. So, um, someone else about the paragraph, whether it's about Nicodemus or Joseph, <coughs> what are your thoughts? Anybody? Why, how does this impact us today? Do we hear about them later on? Or is this the only reference to Joseph? Yeah, actually, no. There are some references in in non-canonical writings, okay, and references in church history like Eusebius, which is the first known church historian who wrote his first big, big work. He was the first guy to really write a history that's tremendous. So both these these guys are wealthy and part of the Jewish community. Sanhedrin, I mean, they're high-ranking political leaders of Israel. Yeah, yeah, they're insiders. Yeah. But they have now done this, and I'm assuming that other people learn about what they have done. Absolutely. There's no way that it could have been kept secret. Absolutely. In today's map, though, they're in the swamp. Yes, they are. They made it, well, see, there you go. They were in secret, kind of in the shadows, you know, Nick that came at night, all that stuff. And now, and now it's daylight. It's out. Their faith is out public. Now they did. Uh, we were, we assume Rick. There was some protesting in the meetings, the private meetings of the Sanhedrin about this Jesus. The scriptures do say there was protesting on behalf of Nicodemus. But now they're showing the true colors. Good association. So this is a big deal. Yeah, even. Even shadowy people are being drawn into the light now. It's good. Someone else? How does this? How do we pull it into our world? What difference does this make to us today? <clears throat> Is this going to help anybody go to work tomorrow and have a good day? I was thinking something that I think last week that kind of struck me was that he was gone and he hadn't been raised yet, but yet there was something obvious inside of him that still. Yes. And how, you know, today he is raised, but he's not with us still, you know, and how, yeah. you know, he's still worthy of that regardless mm-hmm. of how he looks or where he is right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so good, Lee. Yeah. You know how this affects me today? And, you know, here we got to go to work tomorrow morning and Monday morning, whether you're blue collar, white collar, you know, it, it didn't matter. You know what really impacts me? is both the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews too, they would have a celebratory meal. <clears throat> What's this right here? The Lord's Supper. 
What does it commemorate? His death. Yeah. So we are doing that. I, I, yeah, I say that it, it commemorates more than that because you know, when we go to a, a, a wake, uh, oftentimes what's talked about is not the person, uh, the dead person's death, but the family remembers all of the things about their life. Yeah. And, you know, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying do this in remembrance of my death, while that's an, certainly an important right. part, but he's saying do this in remembrance of the totality of my life. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and what did the totality of his life mean? Yeah. You know, from the time, from the earliest time that we have recordings of, you know, Jesus as a youth in the synagogue saying, you know, uh, knowing who he was. Yes. Yes. And the examples that he said, and the parables that he taught. Yes. And, yes. That's so good, Rick. So it's not necessarily a death story, it's a life story. Remember John chapter 6? What does he say about eating his flesh and drinking his blood? Do you remember? And how the Jews were absolutely upset at those words. And in fact, when you read John 6, the crowds are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. He's saying more offensive things, offensive things. And finally, he gets down to the 12 and he goes, you guys are going to leave too? And then Peter goes, where are we going to go? We believe you have the words of eternal life. Yes, sir. Um, Nicodemus, this may be a crazy question or hard, difficult question to answer. So <clears throat> this specifically says that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus. It does not say that Nicodemus was. We know that Nicodemus early on questioned Jesus, and Jesus told him the gospel, but were not given any picture of conversion whatsoever. I know. Yes. At all. Yes. Of Nicodemus. Yeah. That he was timid and he was kind of curious. Yeah, came at night, but sure. We don't sure. Know yeah. Yeah. Factually, whether or not he was. Yeah, exactly. So I, don't, I yeah. find that kind of interesting that one was a disciple and he wasn't necessarily that we know of. Yeah. But he was still taking part in it. Sure, sure, exactly. And so we conject, and sometimes our arguments are from silence that Nicodemus has become a follower. But yeah, it doesn't spell it out. It says Joseph is a disciple. It does say that. To take that kind of chance when you think that, yeah. that he would be, why would he go out there in the middle? Well, he was a big-time Pharisee, though. Like, he was a yes. ruler. Yes, and yes, And so for him to have been taking part, and it even says he was out of fear, you know, that he was kind of doing this under the radar. Yes. So maybe, you know, was he secretly discipling guys or secretly evangelizing yeah. while in the synagogue? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, someone else, what are your thoughts? I think it makes me think that there was certainly these two men finally came out of the shadows at great risk to everything in their lives. Absolutely. Uh, it cost them financially, it cost them socially, uh, their reputations, Possibly even their jobs. You could say that they were willing to sacrifice everything. Yes. And yes. 
that's really no different today. Mm-hmm. That really, you know, Jesus demands that we sacrifice everything for him. Yes. You know, our yeah. decisions on a day-to-day basis, are we going to do what we want or what he wants? You know, all our possessions belong yeah. to him, all our time. Yeah, that's a big, and by the way, in, an, in a treason arrest, in a treason execution, the victim forfeits all property. Yeah, so the, the government will take all assets. So the family gets nothing. Yep, family gets nothing. Yeah, so if there is a potential arrest, Joseph and Nicodemus are losing all of it, if there's an arrest. Now, we don't have a historical record that you know, demonstrates that. But yeah, it's that serious. Forfeiture of your position on the Sanhedrin. Sure. It's a very risky thing. Yeah. Very risky. Well, at the end, I think you brought it out last week, or it was brought out last week, uh, in the, what these two men did at this particular time, where several of the disciples were or weren't at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Preston, we have one reference. Everybody turn to John 7. <coughs> John seven forty five. Uh, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers, think of it as the police, and the police answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. We couldn't arrest him because we couldn't. His speech was so compelling. We were consumed with his talk. We couldn't arrest him. We forgot that's why we were there. The Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? Nicodemus, he who came to him before, being one of them. So he is, both, uh, he is under the radar. He is hiding it, and he's hiding it so well. So then they both were. They, right, they both were. But they're hiding it so well, nobody suspects it. Even to the point that someone makes a comment. Well, surely not one of our own has become one of those guys. And then the narrator gives us the intel that he wants. Pretty fascinating. I think so. it's fascinating how they use the law or they respond like he responds by using their logic, what they learn. But he's, he's speaking for Jesus. Yes. But the other people don't see it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay, someone else on how the impact on this amazing, beautiful act of worship a way to give Jesus a burial fit for a king well, where it says that they put him in a tomb that no one yet had been laid mm. they put more than one body in a tomb oh before. yes yes. thank you for saying that well, I, did, I meant to mention this in Greek there's a double negative the root, the root ude, ude, means no so let me translate this in English they put him in a tomb in which no one, no one at all, has ever been laid. Mm-hmm. 
it's a double negative. It's very emphatic. And they're, and they're doing that, Rick and Carla, to demonstrate the purity of the tomb is worthy of Jesus. Does that make sense? He's so pure. Yeah, they would, they would use these tombs over and over again because remember, a funeral, Randy, I know you know this, it's a two-stage process. The first part, part one, is a year-long process where the flesh is allowed to decompose off the bone. The Jews believe the personality is retained in the bones, right? And after a year, uh, an authorized person would, would go in, gather the bones, put them in a bone box, take them to the family member's home where there was a shelf carved or made, and the bone box, also known as an ossuary, was placed on the shelf so that, that you felt like you were with your family members. Does that make sense? Kind of like ashes on the mantle. Kind of like ashes on the mantle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, the uh, use of multiple use of tombs is still done in this country. Sure. In, sure. in New Orleans, where uh, you have the right to use a tomb for about 20 years. Oh, really? And then what happens is is they dump the bones out of the casket, push the bones back into to the back of the tomb, wow. and I did not put know another casket in. Wow, I did not know that. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. Mm -hmm. Randy, anything else insight from uh, regarding this and your background? There's, well, I was just reading because different Gospels record this differently. Yes, they do. So I'd always considered the fact because they took Christ down off the cross, it was so close to the Sabbath, they did not have time to prepare the body. Right, right. And so they wrapped him and put him in the tomb, and then the ladies went back after the Sabbath was over with the spices mm -hmm. to prepare his body for burial, yeah. and he wasn't there. Yes. That's what, that's what Luke records. Yes, <clears throat> yes. So I'm not sure the difference, but... Well, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. And nevertheless... I was going to joke about that, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm so sorry. There was, there was honoring the dead. Or let me say, they, they were honoring the dead. They were, and with the idea that there would be at some point in time eternal life. Yes. And so back when Christians were being cremated by Nero, that was a specific um, intention to discredit the resurrection of the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so this was in honor, and I know there's an argument or a disagreement among some people today that we shouldn't cremate because, and that's the reason the Catholic Church never allowed cremation for years and years because um, you were saying that you didn't believe in the resurrection of the body and you're mm -hmm. trying to prove that by cremation. Yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah. it's just not true. Yeah, that's exactly so, right. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, yeah. funerals funerals are just as important today mm -hmm. to remember, um, I think Rick said it, remember the life mm -hmm. of the person who lived. Mm -hmm. And there should be ceremony, and there should be mourning, there should be grieving because that life has changed, but there should also then be celebration because that's ultimately what's going to happen here. Mm -hmm. There's going to be celebration that the resurrection actually did happen. Yes, yes, that's so good. And you see that in the Eucharist. Yeah. That we remember his death 
but we proclaim not only death, also his life. Yeah. It's fascinating, the, the grace story. So, Okay, someone else on why this matters to us today. You know, Randy, the, the actual timeline, it's so difficult to reconstruct this, but we conclude that a large amount of the spices were used to get at least an initial wrapping done and packing spices around the body, those sorts of things, and that Mary and perhaps others were coming to finish the job. We have no idea who's watching. Did Pilate not dispatch soldiers to make sure that body was put in the tomb? It stayed there. And stayed there? Yes. Do you realize that centurions, probably, possibly, the same men that actually were involved in the execution, were watching Joseph mm-hmm. and watching Nicodemus do this? So, Michelle, it's, there's public record. Everybody knows what's going on now. And it's verification by Roman authorized officials what they're doing. So, yeah, they're stepping into the light. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Sure. Sure. You started out by saying, excuse me, or asking how should we worship Christ. Yeah. Um, I I was listening to something the other day, and and the speaker suggested that we should give of our money and our time until it becomes uncomfortable yeah. and we should stay there in that yeah. uncomfortableness yeah. and so if you if you use that same logic I think we should worship until yeah. the world maybe views us as yeah. such I mean, even yeah. worse to it. Yeah. until we're uncomfortable Barbara you, you mentioned something a few minutes ago that made me think about that so. yes. yeah. 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 it's good they're very good. So, okay, who would like to lead us in the Lord's Supper? Someone. Before I ask Bruce to do it. Somebody, please volunteer. <laughs> okay, Bruce, you're up. I was prepared. I just turned it through. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful way to reconnect to Christ and, and the life that he lived. The sacrifice that he, that he made, but the life that he lived uh, and gave for us. 
Thank you for the ability to come freely to this table. Thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you most of all for freedom in Christ. So we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen.